You're listening to a podcast from STI. This is a podcast from Sexually Transmitted Infection, and we're here to talk about the latest special issue, which is focused on Trichomonas vaginitis. My name is Sharon Hillier. I'm from the University of Pittsburgh in the United States, and I'm joined today by Dr. Scott McKellen, who's coming to us from Kenya. Scott, tell a little bit about yourself. So I am a professor of, of medicine, epidemiology, and global health at the University of Washington, and focus in particular on HIV and STI prevention and treatment in women, and with the majority of my research based here in Kenya. Thanks, Scott. And I, I know that both of us have had a long-standing interest in trichomonas vaginitis and the pathogen and the effect that it's had on populations of women worldwide. Why do you think it's such an important thing for us to focus on in this special issue of STI? As I was looking at the questions that Jane Carlton put together for this podcast, I looked back at at another editorial I had written in 2008 on trichomonas and and, uh, asking the question, can we afford to do nothing? And and struck by the fact that we've continued to do that for another five years. But I think that the, the reasons that it strikes me as particularly important is because it is, it's so incredibly prevalent in many populations of women and that increasingly we're seeing associations with adver- adverse reproductive health outcomes and with acquisition of sexually transmitted infections. I think the, the difficulty that we faced in 2008 and that we still face now is that everything that we're working with really in that regard is observational data. And so it's hard to sort of close the deal and absolutely convince people that this highly prevalent sexually transmitted infection is something that absolutely needs to be um, dealt with from a global public health perspective. Thanks, Scott. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think in as we look at this, this is a incredibly prevalent, incredibly important sexually transmitted infection. And yet, I would say that we are quite, as a community of public health researchers, somewhat ambivalent about how important it is. From my own side, I think it's so important because of, as you mentioned, the data that suggests that HIV is associated with increased susceptibility and potentially even transmission of HIV. And as a person who's worked her whole career in reproductive health, I've always been struck by the fact that women who have trichomonas infections during pregnancy are so much more likely to deliver preterm and to um, essentially have a broad range of adverse reproductive health outcomes that can have lifelong impact for women. So it's it, we are in a place that's quite interesting where we have a pathogen which we think has real public health significance, but there is uh, some broader ambivalence about it. But I think one of the things that sort of makes this more difficult to understand is the extreme variations we see in the prevalence of this pathogen in populations of women around the world. I know when I was reviewing the papers that were submitted for this special issue of STI, we saw extraordinarily low prevalence of the pathogen in some of the northern European settings, in much of Australia, but we saw as well 
very high prevalence of the pathogen, 8 to 10% prevalence, in what I would consider the economically disadvantaged or medically underserved populations who tended to be in Australia, the Aboriginal people, within South Africa, women from the native Zulu um, tribes, and in the United States, very clearly, um, the black population. So why do you think that is? Um, Scott, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Why, why are there such extreme variations? What accounts for the, the, the levels, the very low prevalence we see in Northern European women and the much higher ones we see in women that you work with in Kenya? It's a puzzling question, honestly, Sharon. I, I've been thinking about it specifically in relation to this this uh, issue of STI and looking at those data. And, you know, as I think through it, I, I am not persuaded that there are really important biological differences in women's susceptibility to trichomonas. And as I look at what we know about trick epidemiology, one of the things that really struck me is the huge difference in incidence and prevalence in women versus men. So specifically that um, men actually, and I was surprised to learn this in, in reviewing and then reading these paper, have a higher incidence of trichomonas than women but the infection tends to last something like 0.15 years, so a couple of weeks. Women have a somewhat lower incidence, but tend untreated and often asymptomatic, so may not get treated, to have infection for, on average, I think the data shows something like one and a quarter years, although I think given that we can't study women once we know they have trichomonas without treating it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's even longer. And that led me to wonder about whether sexual networks, and particularly concurrency with an STI with these, with these really um, huge differences in incidence and prevalence between the sexes, differences in connectivity in the network could lead to very big differences in prevalence overall. It also occurred to me that it's potentially a testable hypothesis even by modeling. And um, I'd be curious to know what you think. I really think, Scott, you've brought up something really interesting. You know, that we do have a pathogen trick that really has much more relevance, public health relevance, to women than men. And I always thought uh, and considered myself that it, there was, I don't want to say sexism, but in some ways, because it only really impacts women, men haven't been as interested in it, uh, not including yourself, of course. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think that the notion that it actually um, persists, that the reproductive tract of men is much less permissive to the continued infection by trichomonas vaginalis than women um, suggests is a really interesting hypothesis and, and potentially is a testable hypothesis. But I think it does account for the fact that we have these this huge burden of disease in women that we don't see in in men. Although I think the the nice, very nice study by David Lewis 
that's included in this um, month's issue, this latest issue on TRIC, suggests that there is a, an important reservoir of infection in men, at least at the clinic space that he was evaluating in Johannesburg, South Africa. So we've already touched on one reason why this pathogen is so interesting, um, certainly because it's one of the most common and it's treatable and it has this really interesting difference in prevalence in different populations, but potentially even different lengths of infection in men and women. But one other thing that certainly has struck me is just how much of it there is. I was thinking uh, when you th everyone uses the the sentence, there's an estimated 100 million new cases of TRIC worldwide every year. That's like the entire population, 180 million new cases worldwide. That's the population of Brazil. We use that term, 180 million, but I started thinking about how many people is that? And what does it take for us to get excited about having that many people worldwide infected with an STI? I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Do you think this is something that it should really be a call to action? You mentioned in your opening statement that you wrote a editorial four years ago, and we've continued to do nothing over that period of time. What is it going to take for us to wake up and say we need to to move on this important pathogen? That's a great question, and I as I watch the data accumulate, I do think the numbers are staggering. I do think that's one of the things that makes it interesting. I think also that the, the numbers being so high, given the associations with HIV and the associations with things like preterm birth, is if those are causal associations, if trichomonas really is causing more women to become infected with HIV, more women to transmit HIV to sex partners, more women to um, potentially have progression of, of cervical lesions, more women to deliver early, then it's, it's a hugely important problem. And then I wonder what, what will it take to generate a response, if not what we have. And I think advocating on the basis of the fact that this, you know, frankly, it does appear just based on the available data to be an important STI and should be handled with a, a much more um, deliberate approach. But I also wonder, you know, do we ultimately, what would we do to generate the data that would be convincing enough that there would be a response? And in, in that sense, I come back time and again to the idea that, that there may need to be trials where we control trichomonas, among other vaginal infections, and prove that we can have an impact on the downstream outcomes that um, I think will get public health in the U.S. And, and ministries of health around the world more interested in doing something about trichomonas. Thanks, Scott. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that gets us to the, the topic of you know, what are the challenges moving forward? I think one of them is to generate the kinds of data that suggest or that will demonstrate to ministries of health and our own Centers for Disease Control in the United States that treating and uh, managing well this condition could actually improve reproductive health outcomes. 
You know, it's also important, I think, to think about where we have come over the past four or five years with this pathogen. What do you think are the most important advances over the past few years that give us hope that it might be time to um, really put some concerted effort onto the control of this pathogen? Guess what I think through advances of the last, say, five or ten years, I think advances in, in diagnostics have been huge. I think it's really the advances in diagnostics that have made it possible to, to better define the epidemiology of trichomonas, the differences between men, women and men, to actually understand the incredibly high prevalence of the organism and to do better epidemiological studies where we look at trichomonas as an exposure and, and at what the outcomes associated with it are. On the more basic science side, I think one of the things that had we had, had we had like Jane Carlton on, um, you know, huge advance is the, is the availability of the trichomonas genome and the uniqueness of the trichomonas genome. The diagnostics are really important important tools that for those of us who work more on the public health side are quite keen about. But tell me what what can we look forward to from what we're learning from the genome? Oh boy, Sharon, that's, you know, I'm not able to answer that question well. I'd be interested to know if you have specific ideas. I think I have wondered whether there's a possibility from the genome of understanding trichomonas resistance, but to date, my understanding is that the genome hasn't helped us to understand resistance well. There's some help with understanding epidemiology in types 1 and 2 of trichomonas, although precisely what the clinical importance, there are clinical associations, but what the clinical importance of those are, I'm not sure. Right. I do think that with uh, the new basic science tools that are available, we are going to have some clues um, that I hope will help us understand treatment like you, I, I think, understanding the um, some of the pathogenesis as well in terms of the virulence determinants that might be really playing an important role in uh, causing inflammatory changes. So, you know, I think the last thing we want to touch on is, you know, where do we go from here? We've had a, a beautiful call for manuscripts by sexually transmitted infections. We're really grateful that they've been willing to highlight this important pathogen. What do you think are the major challenges as a field as we move forward with the control and treatment of this pathogen and the gaps that we need to work on that will wake us from our um, sense of ambivalence about this pathogen? If you had to pick one thing, Scott, in terms of a challenge, which would you tackle? If I had to pick one thing, it would be clinical trials to control trichomonas and look at whether that reduces the downstream outcomes that we're worried about, like preterm birth, acknowledging that there have been trials in the past, but I think we may be treating too late, um, cervical cancer progression. I think, unfortunately, from the perspective of HIV, it's not possible to do that clinical trial anymore. But I think that trials of control of trichomonas and then showing what control can buy you in terms of better public health outcomes. I couldn't agree with you more. I actually think that is the highest priority. Um, so it's back on us as scientists to try to 
um, I think, work with with our funders to identify and be able to design those kinds of trials and identify funding for that. So we'd like to thank those of you who've joined us for this podcast. We appreciate you listening. This is Sharon Hillier at the University of Pittsburgh, and I was joined today by Dr. Scott McClelland from Kenya, but who also works at the University of Washington. We appreciate your efforts and, again, appreciate the efforts of the editors of Sexually Transmitted Infection for highlighting the important work on Trichomonas vaginalis. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.